Harry Potter. Oh, Harry Potter. 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 And the Half Drunk Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Harry Potter and the Half Drunk Podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Emily. And this week, we are joined by two guests, actually. They are co-hosts of a podcast called Say Anything Sisters. Ashton and Brett, can you guys introduce yourselves? Sure. I'll go first. So my name's Ashton. I'm actually also Enneagram Ashton on Instagram. And um, yeah, we have a podcast called Say Anything that combines the Enneagram and pop culture. I gotta be honest, I'm definitely the Enneagram half of the podcast. (laughs) Um, But I'm an Enneagram life coach and motivational speaker and I hold workshops. So all that fun stuff. And I'm Britt, and I'm uh, I'm the other half. So I am on the pop culture side of things. I'm an Enneagram enthusiast, but not a certified coach. And I um, keep it light, keep the banter funny, and um, I have random bits of pop culture trivia just wedged into all facets of my brain. So happy to be here. That's my amazing. Yeah, my Instagram is Britt.Fischel if anyone's interested. But they're not ever as interested as... Enneagram Ashton, let me tell you. (laughs) And you guys are sisters in real life, too. Yes, we are. We are full-blooded sisters. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) In every sense of what that means. I love that you guys decided to start a podcast together. What led up to that? (laughs) Sorry to put you on the spot. No. What did lead up to that? I mean, I think it was that thing where, like, we would spend car rides on the phone with each other. Like, oh, I'm just running to Target. Let's call my sister. And we would be on the phone for, like, an hour just, like, giving funny stories and banter back and forth. And then one day we were kind of like, would people care to hear this? And the answer is probably no, but we (laughs) decided we wanted to do it anyway. And so um, because she's a certified Enneagram coach, it was how can we mix in, like, two things that we're really passionate about and for me that's a lot of like reality tv pop culture news um like movies television music that kind of stuff and for her it's the enneagram so we've kind of like launched it with that and then it's it's about half and half it's about the enneagram and pop culture but then it's a lot of like sister banter on the on the podcast nice yeah so that's kind of perfect for our topic today with Harry Potter characters and Enneagrams. Um, so can we get a little information about you guys, like your Enneagram type, your Harry Potter background, your Harry Potter house, if you know it, that kind of stuff. Go ahead, Ash. I'll go first because mine's a little bit more straightforward, I think, than <laughs> okay. has been having like a come to Jesus moment today. <laughs> but um, I'm an Enneagram too with a very strong three wing. And I think that comes from well, a lot of things, but running my own business and just being so focused on um, success and and people's opinions, things like that. Mm -hmm. I am definitely a Hufflepuff. I thought I was a Hufflepuff. Then we um, retook tests today, multiple, and they all came back Hufflepuff. So I am nestled into my Hufflepuff house. Love that. Love that. Yeah. I am... Um, more of the Harry Potter book reader 
okay. than movie watcher. So I think that's a difference between us too, right, Britt? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, I read them, but um, I was so young when I read them and I watched the movies pretty much every weekend. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an Enneagram 8 and um, I either have incredibly even wings or I don't have a wing because the 8 is really mm-hmm. a domineering number for me. So um, if you have spoken about the 8s on this podcast before, or if not, we can talk about that for a minute, but um, they are challengers. And so... Um, Yes, I'm bold. I like confrontation. I don't shy away from things. But I'm also an advocate and an ally for so many and I fight for people. So that's also within my wheelhouse. Now that being said, I because I took my house test, you know, so long ago, I, I've just been traveling through life thinking that I was a Hufflepuff because Yeah, no, that does not make sense. Right? I was like, that's why I was like, what? Yeah. Okay, I don't know. Hufflepuffs hate confrontation. <laughs> Okay, but here's the thing. They're not challengers. Here's where, here's where that comes in. Okay, because like loyalty is so incredibly important to me. And so like even this is like my house has is predating the Enneagram. I didn't know anything about the Enneagram until a couple years ago when Ash got started with it. But I've had my house forever because loyalty <laughs> loyalty is so important to me. And that's such a like a strong foundation of the Hufflepuff house. So right, I today when I told Ash that and she disagreed with me completely. Completely. I went back and I retook the test and it came out as Gryffindor. Now that sounds perfect. Yeah. It did say, it did say in the reading of it that in my answers, I have the loyalty qualities of a Hufflepuff, but Gryffindor is my strongest. So, oh. so I, I was like validated that I like at least included that little <laughs> sentence for me, but, but yeah, so fine. And not that I'm, un, I'm not displeased that I'm Gryffindor. That's a great house. Right. You would be the first person I ever heard of who was like, I don't want to be a Gryffindor. <laughs> I just, no. I just was like, so like, I've been living, I mean, like I have told so many people that I'm a Hufflepuff, so it's just, I have to, it's like an identity switch all it's of a sudden. It's like almost the reverse, I think, of every other Harry Potter fan who you kind of, when you're starting on this journey, if you call it that, you have all the Gryffindor gear and everything since that's mm-hmm. what's widely available and then you go mm-hmm. and you find out what house you're really in and you're like oh shit like I have so much of this stuff like Sam and I had I to thought I was a that. Gryffindor for forever no Why but I you? really appreciate your allegiance to Hufflepuff like I respect uh, the hell out of that <laughs> it makes me well, so happy. honestly Ash thought I was gonna be a Slytherin so I'm glad at least Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like threes and eights are known to be Slytherin so when she told me she was a Hufflepuff I almost like I was heating up something in the microwave I literally almost dropped it on the floor (laughs) I was like nothing has been further from the truth in my entire life okay I actually have I because literally I just said I was having a ton of introspection on the couch about this and eights when when eight enneagrams are incredibly healthy they move to what a two. And so twos are traditionally oh. Hufflepuffs. And so that's my rationale that I've moved <laughs> in my health journey to a two. You're just so healthy. <laughs> yeah, I'm just so healthy <laughs> in my journey. Mm. Anyway. Wait, so that, I'm like really interested now that you guys are saying like threes and eights are traditionally Slytherins. So like what are the other ones? Because we haven't talked about this traditionally. No, what? we haven't. Yeah. So the Hufflepuffs are usually like the twos the fours and the sixes so because of that loyalty because of that um and nines sorry and nines um because they don't like conflict and things like that 
your Ravenclaws are going to be the ones that are like truly invested in knowledge. So like fives, ones maybe, and then your Gryffindors are like your sevens, your, yeah, your sevens, I would say. And then like, you know, we have the outliers like the, like Brit and Mm -hmm. people who like tend to align with that, with those traits closer. You know about the enneagram though it's about motivations not behaviors and so right um, i shouldn't have i guess attacked her when she told me she was a hufflepuff because thank you the, <laughs> the houses are about behaviors but thank you other? thank you <laughs> wow that's so so interesting thank you guys for sharing that also as everyone knows whenever we have guests on they choose our drink of the week and this week they are shooting us right into fall so it's very very appropriate drink we are drinking pumpkin beer this week Mm -hmm. i was so excited when you guys chose this because literally on the last podcast we were like we're saying goodbye to summer with this drink (laughs) of the week and you really just like catapulted us into the fall to keep our words so i appreciate that i don't even think we hesitated i think it was like pumpkin beer (laughs) i think i I might have been drinking a pumpkin beer when i said to you let's make them drink pumpkin beer (laughs) no we love it i don't think we've had like a pumpkin beer on here before we might have done some sort of like spiked pumpkin juice or something yeah but it's perfect and now it's officially fall so it all just works together easy sipping makes sense so really Mm -hmm. glad that we're doing that yeah so let's kind of dig into the deeper conversation and I want to know how did you find the Enneagram and what got you interested in it at first so I, my whole background is in psychology so my bachelor's and my master's degree in psych And I've always been super interested in personality tests or typing systems. I can even remember like growing up and our mom would take us to like Borders bookstore and I would go to the psychology section as like an 11 year old, like a weirdo. Wow. And would like (laughs) like, take personality tests to get to know myself better. What um, I always felt was missing was like, okay, I have this knowledge and what do I do with that now? And that's where like the Enneagram came in and kind of changed that for me because it is used as a tool to help people better understand themselves and connect with each other better. And that's what made me want to dive deeper in it with my past experience, like working in the helping field. And then of course being a two as well. And so then I started sharing all of the information with family who at first like looked at me, I think like I was, crazy and like what is this you're talking about and yeah I'll pass it over to Britt since she was a part of that well I mean (laughs) you know I really I want you to get into like your journey as like becoming an Enneagram coach though too because you know she definitely shared it with the fam with our family and like they essentially sat us down and made us all take take typing tests and we were kind of like (laughs) what does this mean but it becomes this obsession and and it's kind of like good and bad. It becomes this obsession where like as, as you realize your number and the traits of that number and the behavior mechanisms of that number, you start to see yourself doing these things like in real mm-hmm. life, in real time. And so you start to like bring it back to the Enneagram, back to the Enneagram. So it really heightens your awareness of your behaviors and like the reasons why you do certain things. But then sometimes like I feel like I need to like shut it down. Like I really have, I'm really laser focused on like, 
this is because of the Enneagram and who I am as an Enneagram number. And like, you just, that's a little bit too far into it. But yeah, so that's, we all sat down, we all typed. Some people were into it, some people were not. But Ash decided to go even further with it. Yeah, and so I created my Instagram account, um, Enneagram Ashton, in January 2019. And honestly, just to share knowledge with other people of, of the Enneagram. And from there, I remember coming home one day from work and saying to my husband, like, I guess I'm becoming a coach because so many people were like asking me for help or asking if I was doing coaching and things like that. And so I went ahead and got my certification, but my Instagram just blew up from there. And that's part of the reason why we decided to do a podcast because people wanted to hear like different perspectives of the Enneagram. And, you know, like people love to hear about how the Enneagram connects to like real life situations or scenarios and by being able to connect that for people, sometimes it's easier for them to understand. Yeah. She's being incredibly modest, though, because, like, <laughs> she also wrote a book on the Enneagram. Yeah. She's an author Really? What's yeah. your book? Where I wrote can a book people called The Enneagram for Relationships. It's all about the Enneagram, how each type responds in relationships and oh, with you know, workers, romantic <laughs> relationships, friendships, and family members. You can find it anywhere books are sold, on Amazon. Yeah, my plug website. yourself, girl. You can't be modest <laughs> about that. <laughs> yeah. I, by the way, I wrote a book. Like, what? Yes, you wrote a book. You're such a Hufflepuff. (laughs) I know. As far as, as far as like the Enneagram guru goes right now, like she's definitely like top five in the business right now. So you need to really like sell yourself a little bit more. Like you are the real deal Enneagram Ash. (laughs) This is literally like the story of our lives, right? So the Enneagram too. And then who's like, I don't know, help people and take care of them. And then the Enneagram eight over here who's like, yes, girl. (laughs) Own it. But you have a three wing, right? So yes, I, I do. Like you would, you would kind of want to have people see that achievement. Yeah, I'm so honored that you guys are on our podcast and are taking time to talk about this with us. I'm kind of wondering, with your psych background, what you think it is about people innately that makes them so drawn to like personality typing. What connection are they hoping to find or learn about themselves, I guess? I think people just genuinely are curious about who they are. And people just never really feel like they know themselves. And so I think that's always, like, the first place to start. And they want to be, like, heard and understood. And so when things like the Enneagram come along and they're reading captions or descriptions of their type that sounds like them then they're like oh wow like I'm not the only one who thinks or processes or behaves this way and so then it just keeps them wanting to learn more yeah and Britt you said that there are certain people in your family who were maybe not so into it did you find a correlation with the types of like the numbers of people who weren't into it it's interesting because we have a lot of threes in our family (laughs) and um, they're like the ones that are a little bit more like cynical, like they don't buy into it right away. And then, but then like quietly on the side, then you see like every once in a while, just like mention something about it. And so you know that they're like processing it, but they don't want to admit that they're processing the information. And so like, I would say like, those are the ones that don't want to like give out like the award of like this other person is doing this really wonderful thing and let's recognize it and really dive into it publicly but they are like Mm -hmm. thinking about it and taking it in do you agree with that ash okay i'd also say the ones 
too. We have, yeah. I have, I also have multiple, we have a lot of ones in our family too. And it's a love-hate relationship with eights and ones. <laughs> <laughs> I have a couple of friends who are fives and I've tried to talk to them about the Enneagram before and they're like, no, personality tests are shit. That's, that doesn't mean anything. Like, so I literally was going to say that because Britt's husband <laughs> is a five. Yeah, my husband's a five. <laughs> And but, forever, he's trying to argue with me about, you know, certain aspects of it, and which is, like, so classic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of but we can, this mm-hmm. is actually a good opportunity to maybe to go into, like, the idea of the Enneagram test in general, though, because um, we actually don't support, like, an actual test. So, like, the way I just took my housing test for I know, I was like, what is this that we're doing? We actually don't support Enneagram tests, and if you want to explain why, Ash. Yeah. You know, tests are historically trying to get at behaviors of things. And so what we know about the Enneagram is it's so focused on motivation that it's just hard to get to that in a test, as well as we're humans. And what we know about humans is we want to be perceived a certain way. And so even if we think like we're really, really trying Mm -hmm. hard to not answer a question in a certain way, most of the time we are. And so it's easier, well, not easier, but it's more accurate to just sit with the traits of Enneagram types and and the motivations and the core fears and desires and really just see what relates to you, what kind of gives you that like punch in the gut sort of feeling because we know that the Enneagram is a process and not something that you're really going to figure out your type in 10 minutes or less. Obviously, we're humans, we love things to happen quickly and we want other people to tell us what type we are, like a test, right? but it's up to us right. to really determine what type we are. So we saw that play out with some failing members too, who like tested a certain way. And then as they really looked at it, they ended up being different types. Yeah. It's interesting and- that you say that because I, every test that I've taken, I'm a two wing one. And after we recorded our last episode, I was like, I'm really not convinced that this is what I am, (laughs) even though I had literally just taken another test. And I I think I do have a lot of two attributes, but I feel like the one really is like the strongest in my personality. Wouldn't you say, Sam? That's like, you thought I was that from the beginning. That's what I thought you were. Yeah. The more I've sat with the traits, I really think like I am a one. And, you know, I, I don't know. I just feel like, with the two, while I do have some of those traits, the motivations are more like one based. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that you say that because I was just thinking like, there's no way that this is right. Do you feel like you have an inner critic that's always telling you like, you need to, to be this way, you should do this? Sam's face right now. <laughs> She's <was> like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's like a really big quality, a big, really big quality yeah. one. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, well, there's your sign. She's very much an advocate. Like she's very like stands up for what she believes is right and is mm-hmm. like has very strong beliefs in right mm-hmm. and wrong and mm. moral guidance, you know. So yeah. guys I was, just confirmed it for me. Yeah, we, we just typed you. You're one. <laughs> <laughs> one question. That's all you needed. <laughs> Love that. So everyone needs a coach like you in their life. Don't just rely on the test. Um, so that's so that is what you would say like as a tool to figure out your enneagram type is it like talk to a coach read books what else can people do besides just take a test 
Yeah, really all of the above. So like doing your own research, read, there's so many books out right now that can really be helpful and beneficial to people. But um, a lot of coaches like me, we offer typing sessions where, you know, like tests are a great place to start, right? Like you have to start somewhere. But then we look over the results, review them with you, and then develop our own typing interview questions where we interview you. And then we have the opportunity to get to motivations and fears and desires because of being able to ask follow-up questions that you aren't able to do on a test. Okay. In our last podcast, we were talking a little bit about the Center of Intelligence triads and our guest that we had on last week. Her name's Abby Howe, and she's working to become an Enneagram coach as well. Um, she was saying that a lot of times it's easier if you can narrow down which triad that you are in and then try to figure out your type from there. So yeah. I was wondering if you kind of agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I was going to say to you, Emily, is, um, you know, ones and twos are in two different triads. So, you know, right. being able to look at the traits of the gut triad, which is eight, nine, and one versus the head triad, which is, or the heart triad, which is two, three, four, could be helpful in narrowing that down even more. Got it. I'll have to do more research, but I really just, <laughs> I think maybe two could be a wing for me, but I all think right. it's also hard when you're taking tests because you just, you want to believe these things about yourself so much. Like I thought that I was going to be a two before my results came in. Because I'm like, I really love helping people and I love people and I love to be loved. But deep down inside, do I want them to just love me or do I want them to love me because I am different and Mm -hmm. like kind of special? Because I love being special. So (laughs) it, it really makes you just like confront your inner self basically and just be like is this a good quality or is this kind of like something that maybe I need to work on and I think the Enneagram is great that it just brings you all this self-awareness I constantly like now with my friends and in different relationships I'm like okay Sam pay attention to what these people are saying to you it's like Mm -hmm. your problems aren't the only problems in the world it's not all about you don't be like just so self-involved all the time and so self-reflective and I feel like I think that's something that a four is, but yes, for sure. it is. <laughs> it is. Yeah. That's good though, that you have that self-awareness then to try to draw yourself out. Yeah. Yeah. We're working on it. <laughs> so kind of moving on into how the Enneagram can also help you like within self-awareness and personal growth. It can also help you like in your book, you said in all relationships, do you think it can also help you in work and work relationships and that type of thing, how it can be used as a tool? Yeah, absolutely. So it's one of my, I keep saying everything is my favorite way to use the Enneagram, but it honestly is one of my favorite ways to use the Enneagram because, you know, especially right now where a lot of us are working from home and trying to connect in different ways, it can just really be beneficial for teams and supervisors and supervisees, things like that to better understand each other when you're not able to be in having like face-to-face interaction. So by learning about, you know, your supervisor's Enneagram type or them, you know, learning about what yours is and what they might need. So I can say like, when I was working for somebody, them knowing that I was a two and I required a little bit of validation and like be gentle with criticism, things like that. They really took that and ran with it. And we had probably the best supervisor 
supervisee relationship that I've ever had. So it can definitely be extremely impactful. But also I like to, when I use that in a workplace, I also like to see what their numbers are. So I can also check like where they go in stress as well too, because Mm. I might feel like someone's pulling back and I'm confused why, because when they're not stressed, they're way more assertive, they're they're way more um, like outspoken. And then all of a sudden they've shut down on me. And why is that? And so using the Enneagram to look at where their stress lines are as well too, that helps for me to understand like, the workaround of the communication with them to keep them motivated and going. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, actually. I never even thought about looking to where they go in stress. Because obviously, I mean, depending on the type of work that you do, people are typically stressed when they're at work. So Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Are there any types, like I know you said, you don't typically get along with ones. Are there any types that, which I really hope that's not the case today, but are there <laughs> any types that just should not be with each other or should avoid each other? And do you mean romantically or friendship-wise or? I think either. Capacity? I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be any, it's going to be like, regardless of if it's romantic friendship, work, et cetera. But um, I always say that it always comes down to the breakdown of your communication with that person and that Got relationship. It. And so I, I can have really strong, great relationships with ones. The, the eight and the one relationship is a power struggle. Okay. It's all about control. Ones right. want to be in control. Eights want to be in control. So it's about the communication of that control that mm-hmm. in, if there's breakdown there, that's where it becomes frustrating on one side or the other. So it's um, definitely going to be about everything's always about communication and it's always about how you figure out how that person communicates. Do you agree, Ash? Yeah, absolutely. And the levels of health of the individuals, right? So like you could have the quote best combination ever, but if one of them is unhealthy, then it's no longer a great combination. Right. So there are just, you know, strengths and, and weaknesses of a type combination instead of like which combination like get along best or are the best got it are there any other types that typically butt heads or are those the main ones um, because they are so oh h just loved butt heads i could tell you who i also butt heads but i could just tell you <laughs> and i'm sitting here like i love them all you know <laughs> yeah it just it's very um like again like she's she's like a people pleaser she's a two so she's gonna say like she loves them all but i'm like from a realistic perspective i also eights also sometimes have conflicts with nines because nines are non-confrontational they might the other very passive which can sometimes be passive aggressive which then can also be seen as like also in their projects they might be procrastinators which can look like laziness and eights do not like laziness at all even though it may not be laziness it just might be their personal timeline doesn't match up to like an eight's mm-hmm. personal timeline so got it that's an eight and a nine how do you feel about <laughs> uh, what how do you feel about threes i the thing is like eights and threes are mistypes if you know what a mistype is that means that sometimes if you think that you're a three you might actually be an eight or if you think you're an eight you might actually be a three because some of the behavior traits are very aligned with each other so i i feel like i resonate with a lot of threes i just have no i don't i don't have a problem with threes because i resonate a lot with what they're doing it's just the reason why they're doing it is different than the reason why i'm doing things right yeah Yeah. do you ever do you guys ever feel like you butt heads with anyone else um 
Yeah, which is why I'm not a two. (laughs) (laughs) She has very strong opinions. I do. Um, I keep trying to not be a rigid bitch, guys, but it just... (laughs) It's just not working. Your wand doesn't lie. You're a rigid bitch, according to Ollivander. I... I don't know. I, I mean, I, I definitely have different opinions from people a lot of times. And sometimes I do get frustrated and I get heated. But I don't, I can't, I don't know. Like, what? what is typical for a four? Now I'm, like, questioning my entire identity right now. I don't know. <laughs> We're just going into an existential crisis. I know. <laughs> I wonder if, I wonder if fours ever have conflict with other fours. Because maybe they're, there they might all be a jealousy think, thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, because yeah, they think, think that, like, they are the special one. They are the unique one in the situation. And if another four comes into that situation, what does that do to them? Like, who's the unique one now? Yeah. Which one? Right. I will say sometimes I struggle um, connecting with people who are similar to me. Like, especially in a workplace environment, for example, like there was a place that they used to work and there was a new girl who came in and we were like, both blonde, both the same age, both like artsy, both singers, both all these things. And I felt like there was a competition between us a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I just like innately didn't like her at the beginning. But then like, I was like, oh, we actually have a lot in common. Like, you're not that bad. Um, So that's actually the the fact that you're a four with a three wing, that's going to set you up. for for that as well too like the competitiveness but also wanting to be like that unique and special too so that's the setup and the best at being the unique and special one yeah Yeah. mm -hmm. Yeah. so I'd say that's probably the only and sometimes I kind of am frustrated with fives a little bit I think for the people that I know who are fives because we just like see things so differently Um, I was gonna say like I think like I don't struggle with getting along with with types but I would say like it's the hardest I'm generally really good at understanding people and like knowing how they feel or what they need and it's really hard to know that about a five just from someone who's married to one it's hard regardless of the number that you are yeah fives are the hardest to crack I mean I have a good guy friend who's a five and he never shows his emotions and then when they do come out it like a fucking bomb goes off and i'm just like (laughs) whoa okay nobody knew this was going on under the surface we could have talked about this a lot earlier then maybe you wouldn't be so aggressive right now um so i don't know if that's typical but it is okay (laughs) it is (laughs) yeah hi matt All right, so the heart triad is Enneagrams 2, 3, and 4, right? Yes. Yeah. And do you just kind of want to take it away with what that means since you are the expert? Sure. So I love talking about the triads because it's just another way to figure out where you fit on the Enneagram. So for the 2s, 3s, and 4s in the heart triad, which is also called the feeling center, They receive information through their heart and they feel about it first. And so when they're like reacting to something or making decisions or responding, they're going to feel about things before they do that response. Whereas for, you know, the head triad, they're going to think about it. And then for the gut triad, they're just going to instinctively respond. So what that means then is that they all, you know, 
are focused on their feelings. So twos, threes, and fours. We know that about twos and fours. We rarely hear that about threes, but that's because they're typically there. They're just buried. So they have those feelings, but those feelings are typically associated with, you know, like work and success and, and those types of emotions. So also with the two threes and fours, they desire to have significance. And so that just can look different for all of them. You know, twos want to be significant with, you know, the people that they love and in their relationships. The threes want to be significant in their careers or in their jobs. You know, not necessarily all threes are super obsessed with their careers, but in whatever job they're doing, if that's a stay-at-home mom or an executive, right? They want to be significant in, in those careers. And then the fours just want to be significant in general, right? So they want to be significant. They want to be unique. They want other people to see them as that way. They like to be different. Would you say you agree? <laughs> see your face. It's yeah, it's it's just kind of like hard to admit to, I guess. That's it's, how you know. That's how you yeah, know. That. Yeah, exactly. And I that I think also goes back to like, isn't shame something that the yeah. heart triad feels a lot? Mm-hmm. And I feel kind of ashamed of myself because it seems a little self-centered to be like focused on how other people perceive me all the time. But that that yeah, that's that's me. So I no, can't really so- from it like all of them in the heart triad experience shame. And that's because twos, threes, and fours care the most about what other people think about them. But again, it's going to look different for twos, threes, and fours. So for twos, that shame is typically around, uh, am I doing enough for other people? Am I being loved enough? Am I wanted enough? Things like that. For the threes, it's am I doing enough to achieve, like am I achieving enough? Am I, you know, able to accomplish enough, things like that. And then for the four, it's typically, am I enough, period. Mm. And so that, that's where that shame can come in. If you feel like you aren't enough or you're too concerned with other people's opinions and you just feel like something's lacking or like defective in yourself. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so... And then I guess also in the heart triad, they all share, um, do they share similar behaviors or is that just, just how they like process things? Is there similar behaviors? How they process their feelings, yeah, their emotions, things like that, Um, their connection to their feelings and their emotions. But that's why I said um, to you, Emily, about the one versus the two, because that's going to be very different. Whereas not that other people don't have emotions. It's just not their main form of making decisions or functioning through life. Right. Makes sense. I, I feel like I'm just really, maybe I just have a strong two wing because then when you talk about the twos, I'm like, hmm, I could connect with that too. So every time we talk about this, I get so confused and then so interested at the same time, which I'm sure is a very common reaction to this. <laughs> This is also why I like to connect like things like pop culture to the Enneagram because it also gives people an opportunity to like, where do they see themselves in character as well too. And that's an easy way to like say like, oh, I recognize myself here or I see some sort of assimilation with what's going on here, which is also why 
or say anything Instagram is just like pop culture memes pretty much that way people right. can just like say oh I connect with this character in this way you know we're not necessarily type you know you can't type a you can type a character from the outside but because they're not living humans they can't type themselves so it's just right. all of our speculation but it's, it's a right. great way for you to say like do you resonate more with Hermione or do you resonate more with like Molly Weasley <laughs> yeah and I think Especially when I was looking up, when I was doing research for this episode, and I saw who R2 was, I was like, no. Yeah, you're <laughs> like, absolutely like, not. <laughs> like, compared to, you know, like, Hermione and McGonagall, which everyone would assume would be a one, mm-hmm. which I see myself more in them than I do with, say, who we're about to talk about. Mm-hmm. So, right. I could also see McGonagall being an eight an eight but we can get into that mm-hmm. um that's next so week. let's yeah let's let's move into our actual harry potter characters and their types and since we're in the heart triad we'll start with the two and the twos are given the like broad label a lot of the times as the helper the caregiver the supportive advisor and and this article that we're referencing again this week from inner circle the two type that they have is rubius hagrid which I feel like it's no surprise since he is the care of magical creatures professor, groundskeeper. Those are similar, if not the same words that are used to describe a two type. But here we go. This is the this is the description that they give. You're a wizard, Harry. Our favorite half giant in the series, Hagrid, served as a supportive figure to Harry from the moment he burst through the Dursley's doors. He took Harry shopping for school supplies and initiated him into the wizarding world. Type twos are caring and supportive, but honest. They don't boost egos. Instead, they offer genuine compliments and point out great qualities that people have. Hagrid is very proud of being an essential and useful member of Hogwarts and the Order. In most cases, he jumps at the opportunity to be useful, especially for someone he cares about, like Dumbledore or Harry. This is because twos thrive from feeling of being needed. This is also the reason why twos tend to pick up strays that are shunned or alone. For Hagrid, he shows this tendency by taking care of Aragog, the giant spider, and Norbert, the baby dragon, even though they are dangerous creatures. It's very important for twos to feel needed or to nurture something. When Hagrid's creatures are taken away or when he's prohibited to help, he often flies into a fit of rage and throws violent tempers. He doesn't do it from a place of malice. Rather, it comes from their compulsion to help those they love. So, do we mm-hmm. agree with Hagrid's typing? I do. I and I this is spot on. Yeah, I also I also want to make a note, like, I'm so glad that you mentioned the creatures, because that's such a big part of Hagrid's um, mm-hmm. character, as far as that goes, and and you mentioned Norbert, and you mentioned Aragog, but also the hippogriff Buckbeat is, Buckbeat. like, a really big part for me, too, like, thinking about the creatures, and again, like, if you're looking at that stress line, twos move into eight, so mm-hmm. to see him go into that rage, to see him, like, um, have like outbursts like that's right in line with that Enneagram progression from the two to the eight yeah yeah that makes that. a lot of sense exactly. yeah anything to add there Ash? no I just think that he is like this warm friendly giant and like I laughed when like takes in the strays like twos definitely tend to want to help people and take other people in because they want to be needed and similarly with Hagrid, where, you know, he knows that these creatures need him. 
But similarly with Harry too, like when he really like took him under his wing and showed him the ropes and all of that, like he was doing that out of like the goodness of his heart and just because of him being loving and finding, yeah, finding the good in others is definitely like his, another main component of him. Like if you think about even like his half brother that they had in the forest Mm -hmm. and like taking him in, trying to make sure he's cared for and get like showing them to Ron and Hermione and Harry and kind of like entrusting them with like the care of him and just where that goes there too like that's such an important quality for Hagrid and too and like the trust part of it right and even though his brother is in full grown full bred giant he's like I couldn't leave him he's my brother like yeah, of course right. I'm taking him with me yeah mm-hmm. full caregiver yeah. mode yeah right right so I kind of also want to speculate what other characters that aren't in this article could be twos because you mentioned Molly Weasley. Mm-hmm. I definitely 100%. think that she's a two, 100%. 100% with, but she goes into that eight real quick whenever someone that she loves is in danger. 100%, but she also needs to feel, and, and Ash can probably resonate with this and you can speak about it, but she... Molly likes to feel like needed and wanted by her children, which is why she has so many of them. She loves taking care (laughs) of her children. That's like her life's, you know, her life's work is really like taking care of her family. She has to nurture. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So like feeling wanted and needed and loved by her family in return is incredibly important to her. And the way even her Christmas presents where she's like hand making all of these presents for them and like is just Mm -hmm. so excited to like see them open them. That is something that, like, a two just wants that kind of validation of love. Yeah, for sure. You nailed that. (laughs) I know, but I I just meant, like, you are also a two. I know. And and so if you wanted to talk about, like, like, I just see Molly as, like, someone who she wants to be a mom because she, like, just really wants that kind of, like, caregiver. But then also she wants in return that love from her children. And I feel like you are similar in that way and the way you take care of others but then want them to reciprocate oh yeah it like makes me so mad we were just talking about this this week where I feel like I need to be better at setting boundaries which is a two thing for sure 100% um because I'm always willing to help other people out and do whatever they need to be done and then when they don't reciprocate or you know aren't like willing to do the same for me then I get a little um, resentful, you know, and that is definitely not a healthy Mm. two. It's something that I think all twos have to work towards because like we just function out of like our view of the world is how can we help people. And so Mm. if other people aren't viewing the world that way, like it's hard for us to understand. Similarly for, you know, like eights, they view the world and think like, how can't, like why don't people stand up for each other or themselves Mm -hmm. and so it's just a thing for twos that it bothers us when people don't give that same sort of consideration so i'm a little that brings up the question to me because i was going to say that i feel like dobby has to be a two he is but yeah i don't feel like he ever has this resentment like what where do twos go on health or is there a because I mean that I mean, but that is part of his genetic makeup of a house elf is always serving and helping, and I don't think he ever is like pissed at Harry for not, you know, but, helping him ever, you know. 
but if you think about it, he, you know, he definitely was raised as, you know, an elf that was enslaved. And as soon as he's given a gift, like a thankful, I'm validating you. Thank you so much. He is so appreciative. Yeah. He's so Mm -hmm. appreciative. And then he turns on the Malfoys, right? So you can see a little bit there where that resentment was just building yeah. up in him. Yeah, and I saving think, them from Malfoy Manor. Yeah, mm-hmm. maybe we don't see his resentment because we really only see him interact with the Golden Trio. But she, I mean, Britt's completely right. As soon as he interacts with anyone else outside of Hogwarts, pretty much, he does turn like quick. He doesn't. He does have a temper. Yeah. So. To me, he's the ultimate, too, because he literally gives his life doing, serving oh, for right. someone else. God. Mm-hmm. Hurts. I'm still not. I'm still not. <laughs> I know. I can talk about it. I mean, I saw that in a midnight showing yeah. in Chicago, maybe. When, when was that? That was 2011 when that movie yeah, came out. Yeah, 2011. Wow. I can just yeah. remember it. Well, even the... <laughs> It's one of the worst death passages in the entire series, too. Like, definitely yeah. worst as in most beautifully written. It's awful. Let's move on to type three. And I, I honestly think the type three is perfect. So the type three is the medalist. And we have Draco Malfoy. So while Voldemort takes over the wizarding world, Malfoy contributes to making Harry's life at Hogwarts more inconvenient than necessary. On their first day, Malfoy tried to rope Harry into his clique. Threes love superiority, which is why they are quick to buddy up to anyone who is affluent. An unhealthy three would even use this as fodder to brag for them to show off. I feel like this is going to be a lot of Death Eaters. Type threes are motivated by shame. Malfoy channeled his shame after Harry rebuffed his attempt to recruit him by competing with Harry in Quidditch and school. He also taunts Ron and Hermione a lot because of their undesirability. Despite medalists' needs for superiority, they are actually extremely hard workers. Draco is talented in his own right and is willing to put in the work to achieve greatness. Because of the hard work they put in, medalists can be harsh or straightforward when they feel burdened or dragged down by other people. Crabbe and Goyle have been Malfoy's goons since the first day of school, but they suffer at the brunt of Malfoy's anger when they mess up his plans. So I I think this one is kind of like our last episode when we had Fred and George's type. I feel like this is like spot on for Malfoy. Yeah, this this is really easy. I do want to make a note. Um, I, I read a lot about J.K. Rowling and, and the Enneagram as well too. And she, all of her, what we're calling threes, our type threes in this are villains. There are no sympathetic oh. threes in mm-hmm. the Harry Potter series. So if you're looking at Beyond Draco, even any of the other ones that maybe we'll discuss, None of that. They're all essentially the bad guys. And so it's interesting that she never put a sympathetic three in a spotlight here. So to that end, Draco, yes. Misunderstood in my opinion, but yes. Yes. Bad guy. I think that goes back to threes are very ambitious, right? And ambition is a huge component of the Slytherin house. And there's no villain in the Harry Potter series that's not a Slytherin. So I feel like that just has to go hand in hand. Mm. Although I would say that part of me feels like Percy Weasley could be a one or a three mm. because he is so ambitious. For sure. Red boy. <laughs> I mean, to the extent that he just turns on his family in order to climb mm-hmm. the ladder in the Ministry of Magic. So well, and he's like the epitome of a name dropper, I feel. Yeah. Especially yeah, yeah. after he starts his career. 
And he has to remind you every second with every breath in the first three books that he's a prefect. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. But I feel like he could also fit into another type as well. But just from that ambition standpoint and wanting to be the best, I could definitely see him as a three. Could you give us an example, like a pop culture example, not doesn't have to be Harry Potter related, obviously, mm-hmm. of like a three who isn't a bad guy, just so we can kind of have like a general person in mind oh that's tricky okay a sympathetic three maybe while i'm i'm thinking if ash if you could talk about like the unhealthy three because that's really what we're looking at here and a lot of like when we're looking at an unsympathetic three we're looking at essentially an unhealthy three's qualities so if, if you could just explain what an unhealthy three looks like that would be probably helpful as well yeah so an unhealthy three is definitely going to be a bit narcissistic and cynical and focused on themselves and their achievements, like stepping on other people to get ahead, you know, focused on appearances. And so that's why they want to be the best because they want other people to see them in that light and to recognize them for those successes and achievements. Gotcha. Do you guys watch Game of Thrones? Yeah. Yeah. Because Jamie, Jamie's a three on there. Yeah. And I also think he, he becomes like a good guy by the end of it. Mm-hmm. He is a sympathetic three by the end of it, but he doesn't start that way. Yeah. Interesting. I feel like it kind of makes sense just knowing J.K. Rowling's thought process of how she really fears people who are super ambitious and fears people who like power. And it seems like that is kind of an attribute of a three. So it would make sense that that is then who she would kind of make the quote-unquote bad guys Mm -hmm. of the series. I agree. Oh, my gosh. Okay, wait. I have it. I have it. Because (laughs) you know what I've been binging? And this is going to be off topic with Harry Potter. But I because it's fall, for me, fall means Harry Potter. Fall also means Gilmore Girls to me. Yes, every fall fall we watch it. (laughs) Okay, so I'm in it right now. I'm like, I'm barreling through. And Paris Geller is a, to me... A sympathetic three she is not a bad guy at all like to me she is a wonderful representation of an enneagram three i love that yes paris skeller is who you need to compare this to there you go go. paris skeller what a queen i will say though i think for as much of a little shit that malfoy is I, I agree with what you said previously, and we've had we had a whole podcast dedicated to him, kind of digging through his character. He is kind of misunderstood, and I think he's definitely kind of the epitome of uh, nature versus nurture, and more of like a nurture situation since he was kind of raised to be this For sure. narcissistic person. In my opinion, Draco Malfoy has a wing too, because a lot of his motivations comes from wanting to be loved by his family, wanting to be included, wanting, you know, he has a certain uh, reputation with his family to live up to, and he wants to make his dad proud, he wants to make his mom proud, and he wants to be loved by them. So there's this aspect of like what he's doing in his behaviors to be the, from the achiever standpoint, but then there's also the motivation behind like, I just want to be loved. Right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Moving on. Type four is the artist, the romantic individualist. And I feel like no one will be shocked that this article typed Luna Lovegood as their type four. So Luna appeared relatively late in the series in the fifth book, but ended up making quite an impact in Harry's life. 
She first bonded with Harry through their ability to see Thestrals, magical creatures that can only be seen by people who have seen death. She listened to Harry empathetically and eventually became one of his closest friends. Luna is the exact embodiment of type fours, emotionally honest, creative, and personal. Fours show their emotions with ease and express themselves easily. Luna often exclaims her beliefs out loud, even though she was ridiculed for them. For example, she always talks about non-existent magical creatures like blibbering humdingers or the crumple-horned snorkak, much to the annoyance of Hermione. She has also shown her creative chops by making a roaring lion to support Gryffindor in the Quidditch game against Hufflepuff. Despite her eccentricities, Luna was smart enough to be sorted into Ravenclaw. She's intuitive and reflective, often knowing what to do and what to say without any sort of help from other people. At the end of the Battle of Hogwarts, she created a distraction so that Harry could be alone. She also helped Harry in many practical ways in the Order of the Phoenix, like suggesting that they travel to the Ministry of Magic by Thestral and keeping watch for Harry by making up a gas leak. I, I don't know what else Luna would be besides a four, just when it goes back to the whole creative aspect of the character. She's yeah. definitely the most artistic, creative character in this entire series. She also thrives on being unique and being special mm. she doesn't care about other people's opinions right. though which is find it that is very interesting different. that you brought up her relationship with hermione because <laughs> that would be literally our relationship if we were well that's why i chuckled typing, a little bit which is interesting because <laughs> we were always like oh no sam's like Ginny." but i mean reflecting on it i think you are but like luna i have strong opinions but i don't really love Ginny. <laughs> like period <gasps> oh and I am an eight, wow. so. <laughs> but I interesting. You know what's interesting is because you right now you just made a point that she doesn't care what other people think about her, but fours very much do care what other people think about That's them. That's why I'm like, hmm. However, yeah. she also is in Ravenclaw and um, there's a strong wing five that's coming into play, in my opinion, with her, if you agree mm -hmm. with that, Ash. Okay. Yeah. She, she's very cerebral, and so when you look at that aspect of it, she may be leaning into that five where she's, like, so introverted with that idea that she doesn't even, like, phase her if someone is looking at her funny. I think I, I definitely yeah. prefer five wing because of that introversion and, like, idealistic personality. I feel For like sure maybe she does care, but she's just really good at kind of blocking that out from an outside perspective because she's so used to it mm -hmm. you know because it's not i mean she's just really weird let's just <laughs> be honest she just is and i think that it could be her five wing but I, I think it also could be she's just really good at hiding it and unfortunately i mean i would pay a lot of money to have the books through luna's perspective because could you imagine all of that weird content but we don't really know well, how, what her internal thought is. It would just be a ton of bullying all the time. I feel like when we go in Deathly Hollows and see her room where she has this whole, like, artistic painting of all of them, all of her friends, and she has, like, friends written really smallly in, like, these little gold chains. Like, we see how much her friendships mean to her. And I feel like she cares what people think of her for the people that she cares about. But then when we see that, like, her shoes are stolen and her things have all been stolen out of the common room, she's just like, oh, yeah, people think it's fun to steal my stuff, so I'm just going to find it. I, I feel like she really is not fussed by that at all. So I think she's mm -hmm. kind of like an anomaly of, like, the people that she cares about, what they think of her, and the people that she doesn't care 
if that makes sense. Which that can definitely, I mean, that's definitely a four. And that's where that like five wing comes in too. But, you know, fours like really value deep connections with people. And so she's going to value the deep connections that she has more than just everyday people, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. She, yeah, I definitely think it's a four wing five. I think that's right for her. Um, However, I don't think she's the most perfect four in the series. I actually think Severus Snape is the, a more oh boy. Here we four. go. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> Someone clearly disagrees with me here. No? <laughs> I'm just, I'm not a Snape person, but... <laughs> Wait, as in, like, you just don't like the character? Oh, oh Brit loves him. I don't trust it. I don't know. <laughs> Wait, you don't trust that, like, his loyalty, you mean? Or <laughs> what do you trust? Yeah, just to reek, I just feel like his redemption arc is given mm. way too much hype considering what he put every, not even just Harry because he hated his dad, but what he put every student who wasn't a Slytherin through. Like, there's really no need to just be a complete, sorry, lack of a better word, just a complete dick to everyone that is not in your house. And I, I think mean- for, for me, a lot of Snape stuff is unfortunately everyone's like, oh, but he loved Lily and that's why he was protecting Harry. And I was like, "Mm, he was obsessed with Lily. And I think he wanted to save his ass. But I don't have the most popular Snape opinion. (laughs) I'm very cynical about it. I mean, fours are moody. First off, fours are moody. (laughs) And then second, second, what I will say is if you look at, to me, like the most insight into Snape is the Half-Blood Prince, right? So if I'm looking at that as in like a typing scenario, then I'm looking at him in his like kind of reflective, nostalgic, like everything he's doing, you know, what they're saying anyway, you don't believe the storyline to be true, but what they're saying is um, like his actions are because of the past and his actions are reflective on his romanticism of Lily. And so that right there and his behaviors and his choices there come from the four and also the the dominant emotion of shame like that also is a big part of of him in my opinion and so yeah yes he is to me he's an individualist to me he is a little abstract but i think like in the romanticizing ideas of a four and in like he doesn't have to me there's like no wing there to me he's like just a four because Mm. he's like pretty expressive and a little bit avant-garde but then he's very nostalgic everything he's doing is because of something that's happened in the past that he's trying to like continue that that's true yeah i feel like i see five in him though like i feel like he is very much an investigative type type he doesn't really trust a lot of things he's like he's always suspicious of like quarrel or anything else like of Lupin like of Harry like he's just very much about like the facts and the details but I get the whole like nostalgia thing but I also am with Emily where I'm just like "Mm, I just can't I'm sorry I I had a lot more respect for him before we just did our last deep dive and I think kind of reading it like fully as an adult not like in school or anything i think i was just kind of like damn dude like let's just like 
let's tone it down. Let's just tone the abuse down just a notch. I mean, I, I understand why people are drawn to him. You know, he is very interesting. But yeah, I could see him being a four just because of the fact that he does seem to romanticize everything. And then he is obviously super nostalgic if he's going to like remain in love or whatever with Lily. You know, when he when he's dying and he gives his tears, that's mm-hmm. even like passing on something from the past that he still right. feels like is an untold thing that he needs to continue something from his past. So I just feel like we're always looking back with him. And right. that's like a big component of a four is looking back. I'm sold. Oh, no. Okay. Great. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. I you sold, sold a one. There you go. <laughs> wow. That's actually a high achievement right there. Oh, that I like <laughs> do we think there are any other fours in the series it's hard for me to think of that. the only thing i would have said is like for the achiever like we obviously didn't talk about another really main achiever for number three for me would be tom riddle but we didn't really talk about him oh. but like but like yeah he who must not be named is a three. <laughs> Oh, for sure <laughs> it has to be i was gonna say maybe Sirius could be a three but no I think he's an eight. I think I'm just trying to find a three that's not a Death Eater because I like <laughs> desperately want to, to find one. But I don't think it's well, Wait, 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 wait. A little I, bit in the last one. I have a sympathetic three from Harry Potter for you. Okay. Floor, Floor Delacour. Oh. Perfect. There we go. I mean, she's like a, a major three from Goblet of Fire. Yes. But also has a two wing because she definitely takes on more of a nurturing maternal role in Deathly Hollows. Definitely, yeah. definitely yeah. agree, a hundred percent. And she does really love the Weasleys and just kind of the way she does take their abuse because she loves Bill so much. Yeah, I agree. Well, and her sister, she's very protective of her sister too. Loves her definitely. sister so much. And yeah, obviously, like she was the champion from Bow Batten, so she's the best of the best of them, which is the three things. Yeah, and I also, I also think that the book, um, Goblet of Fire, like the book is so much better than Goblet of Fire, the movie. It's actually my mm-hmm. least favorite movie. I can't stand there anyone's mm-hmm. hair in that movie, actually. <laughs> um, and that like does it for me. It's like, for some reason, that was the year that no one decided to get a haircut. And so... They were really trying to go away from Alfonso's direction. Yes. Um, the third movie and so David Yance was like wait we're just gonna change everything we're gonna change the entire color scheme we're gonna change their physical appearances like very different direction and the fourth movie is also a lot of comedic relief which I'm just like okay thanks I mean I appreciate it before we want that comedy we want to sit in our statins here yeah (laughs) well can you Remind everyone where to find you guys and what you guys are up to if there's anything new coming up. Sure. Okay. So if you'd like to follow along with us, we are at Say Anything on Instagram. And then we have podcasts coming out about every other week. And that you can, uh, that's also Say Anything. And you can find that anywhere you podcast Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere you pod. And then um, Ash, her page is at Enneagram Ashton and I'm Britt and I'm at Britt.Fischl. Great. And thank you both so much again for coming on and offering us this expert opinion. Because yeah, like if we didn't have you, we would just be like, uh sure, this sounds good. <laughs> I don't know. 
Anytime. We would never have figured out Emily's real type. Yeah. <laughs> but as always, you can find us at HP Half Drunk on Instagram and Twitter and Harry Potter and the Half Drunk Podcast on Facebook. Yep. And you can also listen to us anywhere podcasts are found, anywhere you're listening now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Himalaya. Um, we also post a direct download link each week with the episode, and all of our episodes are also found on our website, hbhalfdrunk.com. Yep, and next week we'll be back with our last Enneagram episode. But have a great week. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, cheers. Thanks, guys, for coming on. We thank really you. appreciate it. Thank you. Yep, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Mischief Managed. Mischief Managed.